This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 577. Great to have your company once again. Thank you for joining me. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, the Optus CEO has resigned after the outage and also following a Senate inquiry. We'll tell you more about that. Apple is going to adopt a new standard to bring messaging equality between the iPhone and Android. And we go behind the scenes at Oppo. Uh, we were in China to see how their devices go from concept to reality. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Uniden Pano security camera. Samsung has launched a new shop app and the tech products that are causing the most injuries. And we'll answer all of your questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected. And Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, Optus CEO Kelly Bayer-Rosemarin has uh, tendered her resignation. She resigned earlier today. Today's Monday. And she f- sends in her resignation after the massive outage that occurred on November 8, but also just days after a Senate inquiry, which we'll talk about more in a moment. Uh, she was actually asked at that inquiry, point blank, is she going to resign? And she kind of sidestepped the question, but... Uh, she did uh, tender her resignation effective immediately, uh, and she released a statement. Her statement said, On Friday, I had the opportunity to appear before the Senate to expand on the cause of the network outage and how Optus recovered and responded. I was also able to communicate Optus' commitment to restore trust and continue to serve customers. Having now had some time for personal reflection, I've come to the decision that my resignation is in the best interest of Optus moving forward. It's been an honour and privilege to lead the team at Optus and to serve our customers. So uh, the search for a CEO will be a global search, according to statements from Optus. Uh, at the moment, there, there's going to be a stand-in. Uh, the chief financial officer, Michael Venter, the CFO, he's been, he's been appointed interim CEO until a new CEO is appointed. So this really this comes after two major incidents that happened on her watch. She, she started as Optus CEO in April 2020, right? Just as the pandemic was getting started. And during that time, as I mentioned, two huge incidents, the huge data breach in September 2022 and the recent outage, which uh, I spoke about November 8. So still fresh in our memories. She attended a Senate inquiry last week and I, I actually thought she conducted herself very well. And at the time, I'm thinking, well, I don't think she was going to resign. I think she would have sort of received some encouragement that she fronted uh, and answered all the questions. You know, it were senators asking the questions, nothing too technical or too, too, that was going to stretch her too much. But I, I thought she actually she answered the questions quite well, uh, frankly and honestly. But that doesn't change the fact that she just took too long to get out and talk about what was happening and to, to talk to her customers. I think that her initial, after the outage, her 
she took six, six and a half hours to actually say anything. And uh, all morning, Optus comms were telling us, oh, there have been statements on the internet and on social media. How the hell are Optus customers supposed to see them if they don't have mobile and internet coverage? This is what I'm talking about. This is why there needed to be more done for customers. Telstra and Vodafone customers were hearing all about that and could see it on the internet, that she needed to be on television. And, and what, what's, what's remarkable is that this isn't their first rodeo when it comes to a major incident. In September last year, this data breach really exposed Optus, both in, in terms of their, their, their network and their, the data that was taken, but also exposed just how poorly they can handle a crisis. And at that time, the same criticism of, of, of Kelly Bayer-Rosemarin was that she took too long to come out and talk to people about what was happening. Her customers were, were left a little, uh, little bewildered that she didn't get out and, and speak a little earlier than she did. And so fast forward 14 months later, and here we are again, same strategy after the crisis, say nothing till much later, frustrate customers even more. And now she's uh, she's been she's she's now well she hasn't been shown the door she has sought the door herself she has just to get that clear she resigned she was not sacked she resigned from her post uh, so at the Senate inquiry some interesting things though that she did that she was asked and that she mentioned I did mention the fact that she she kind of dodged the question about whether she was going to resign. The morning of the the an inquiry the inquiry in Canberra, the Australian Financial Review had published a report to say that she was considering stepping down. And when pressed on that, she answered, "Well, look, um, this isn't about me. The focus is on the team and with the customers and the community." And uh, she said, "Look, I think I've answered that question." But there were some other questions asked, and and as, and don't forget, to, uh, the, these are senators asking the question, not not tech journalists or financial journalists or business journalists. The, the questions were pretty straightforward, including one from Senator Hanson Young. And the, the question she asked was she was surprised by the fact that a customer couldn't roam to another network in the case of an outage. And uh, Ms. Bayer Rosemarin very patiently explained to her that just transferring 10 million people from one network to another will probably bring the other network down as well. That it's not that easy. The the other explanation though came from the Optus managing director Lambo Kanagaratnam. Now he said that the they 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 didn't have a plan in place to deal with an outage of this scale because you think about it. There was the it was landline, mobile, internet gone. So nothing Optus sold was working, and. This took them by surprise, obviously, and he. But he said that. So the explanation for the outage, which they they did go into further detail, was the result of a peering software upgrade sent from their own company, Singtel. Brought came into the system. The routers were overloaded, and they sort of went into a self defence mechanism of shutting down, which then shut down the whole network. So Mr. Kanagaratnam say, said that the outage was the result of our defences. It was not working as it should have been and is something we've addressed. So uh, that, that was, it, it was like a self-defence mechanism that the, the, the network went down. Uh, she was also asked about compensation and we did find out that Optus had received more than 8,500 claims as of last week. 
which were after more than $430,000 in compensation. They'd already paid out 36000 in compensation and were dealing with uh, on it by a case-by-case basis. She said well, she will check the veracity of the claims as they came in. She also warned, though, about setting a precedent over compensation. Now, she said that outages are inevitable for a telco. They're going to happen from time to time, just as blackouts and your water going out for your other essential services – but do other people ask for compensation after a blackout or after any other outage? So if, if, if Optus is forced to compensate businesses who lost collectively tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars, then that would set a precedent for those other utilities in the event that they actually went down. So uh, th- that was interesting approach right there. But she is out Kelly Bayer Rosemarin has uh, should be remembered as the CEO who was at the helm of Optus at their uh, their two biggest incidents, and unfortunately she has decided to to leave. I personally thought that she would have stayed after the Senate inquiry. I thought that she would have received a lot of encouragement for that, and maybe have thought thought that she could carry on, but I think what it came down to was the damage to the Optus brand, but also, too, to the loss of customers. I think the the bottom line is what everyone's judged by in the, in, in the telco space. If you're not, if you're not maintaining or, or increasing your revenue, then something's wrong. And the fact that, that so many people indicated to me that they were done with Optus after the outage – Way more than the than the than at the time of the data breach. The data breach, they were worried, but they still had their services. Their services still worked, so they weren't really affected immediately. They were concerned, but everything's still connected. In this instance, with the with the outage of landline, mobile, and internet, customers were far less forgiving. And reports are that business at Telstra is like up four times more than usual. Vodafone is signing up four times as many customers as as as, as normal. The the MVNOs, the mobile virtual network operators like Boost Mobile, Kogan Mobile, are reporting five, four and five times as many signups to their services in the past week as well. So that to us indicates that Optus aren't going to tell us how many customers they've lost, but we can see, we can gauge how many customers those other telcos have gained. And it's it's no, you don't have to be a genius to work out that most of them have come, if not all of them, have come from Optus. So this is the end of another chapter for the embattled telco. Uh, no idea who the new CEO is going to be. But for them, they're going to have their work cut out for them to bring Optus back to to the to the fore, to the front, to the to br- repair that brand damage, to win customers back, to win back their trust, and to make a fresh start. If you want to read more about the Senate inquiry and Kelly Bayer Rosemarin's resignation, you can find all of that out at TechGuide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, this is a big story about Apple uh, deciding to adopt RCS, which is Rich Communication Services. What that is, is a technology that will improve texting between iPhone and Android 
And part of that improvement is higher quality, but also higher security. Now, we all know anyone who's got an iPhone, and that's probably a lot of you listening right now, if you've received a message from an Android user, it's green. Android users, all messages are green for them. doesn't matter whether it's from another, for another Android or an iPhone, but Android to iPhone and vice versa, because Apple has, has not adopted RCS until now, they, the messages have always been uh, the, using the old technology, so using the old SMS, the short messaging service technology, and MMS, multimedia messaging services. So what that means is that between an iPhone and Android, say I'm on Android and, and you're on an iPhone, I want to send you a video. Because it's not using RCS, the rich communication services, it's using the MMS system, that's going to compress the video or image, whatever I send you, and when you open it up on your iPhone, it's going to look rubbish because the, the file is, has been compressed. Uh, iPhone to iPhone, of course, which is iMessage, no such issue. So if I send a video to you, iPhone to iPhone or iPad to iPhone, whatever, between Apple products, it is good as gold. You're going to get the full file, the full resolution image. It's going to look amazing. You're also going to get a read receipt. So you can tell whether a message is being delivered and then read. You're also going to see the typing indicator. You know those three dots, you know, when you're on iPhone, iMessage, you're thinking, are they responding? Those three dots start to sort of dance around. That means, oh, they're typing. That only exists at the moment between, on if you're an iPhone user, iPhone to iPhone. If you're Android to Android, you already see these. There is already RCS between the companies that make our Android devices. So this is nothing new for them. But the big thing, this is huge, this announcement between iPhone and Android. It's like Holden and Ford deciding, you know what, let's use the same, a lot of the same parts. We'll, 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 we'll get on a bit better. iPhone to Android messaging now, thanks to the adoption of RCS, which, by the way, won't happen till sometime in 2024. I reckon it'll be after the Worldwide Developers Conference when iOS 18 will announce RCS Universal Profile. Now, Apple announced in their statement, they said, we will add support for our RCS Universal Profile, the standard as currently published by the GSM Association. Apple added that RCS will still work alongside iMessage, which it said will continue to be the best and most secure message experience. So yes, there's going to be a bit more equity, I think, between iPhone and Android. So I reckon the security might be there. End-to-end -end encryption might still be there. Uh, also, we may see the exchange of files that will also still continue to be higher quality. You may also get read receipts, the typing indicators, all of those things. But Apple, I think, is going to still have something up its sleeve to make iMessage to iMessage still the premium messaging experience. What that is, we don't know yet, but this is amazing progress. There was an analyst that was quoted uh, in Mobile World Live, Roger Entner. He's the, an analyst at Recon Analytics. He was quoted, this is his quote, champagne corks are popping on Google's campus. I'm surprised because Apple has driven iMessage as a massive differentiator this is huge. Now, one question that we're asking is why? 
Why has Apple decided to do this? In fact, a year ago, Google and Samsung launched, well, mainly Google, launched a campaign to, to persuade Apple to join, to, to adopt RCS. But Apple at the time didn't respond. They resisted. As late as September last year, Apple CEO Tim Cook dismissed RCS. He said, look, we haven't heard any demand for it from customers. But, of course, all these customers are iPhone users. Okay, so who's going to ask for RCS if you're an iPhone user? Nobody. So that was their response up until September last year. Now, what has changed? A lot of the, a lot of the thoughts are because there's some pressure from the European Union's new Digital Markets Act. Now, the EU is quite a powerful body. We've already seen their influence because it, it actually was the reason why Apple went to USB-C on its latest iPhone a year ahead of the deadline because the EU decided that all phones should have the same charger. It's better for less e-waste, better for everyone, consistent. The, the other thing that the EU had its eye on was iMessage. It had it on its list of services that it needed to be made more universal. So I reckon what Apple's done here, they've decided to jump before they were pushed in, in, in adopting rich communication services, RCS. So as I said, sometime in 2024, we're going to see this. But I think what, what it means is that there is going to be equity now between iPhone and Android messages. Uh, you, I've heard stories of people looking down their nose, oh, who's the green bubble? How, how dare you pollute our iMessage field? I've even heard stories, okay, and I've written about this in the past, where when, you know, people on dating apps and various things, once they get on the dating apps and start texting each other, I've legit heard women turning down men to meet up after being matched on dating apps because they were had a green bubble, they were Android users. So how's that for how's that for being racist? You're message racists, but and, and it, look in all seriousness, we've even seen cases of of, of bullying and and uh, students being sort of looked down, frowned upon, but having oh who's the green bubble in a group message? It, it, this this these things are happening in the real world. So this new move, while I'm not sure whether it's gonna it's gonna solve all those other issues I just talked about, it is gonna offer the uh, sort of more equality in terms of, uh, of in terms of the actual message quality and security, and, and it just it'll just make it easier to communicate between different different smartphones, different operating systems. Uh, Apple, I think, held uh, iMessage as their own their little their own little world that it was its own messaging system in itself because it could be sent via the internet rather than using the cellular network. So now with RCS, I think it's it's possible for Android users to send uh, to, uh, it will be possible to send to iPhone using data rather than the cellular network. So look, a, a lot of changes. This is a big move. This is You're going to hear more about this next year, but uh, the announcement was only made a few days ago. And uh, in the in the in the telco community, uh, the the GSM community, this is a massive deal that we're going to hear a lot more of. If you want to find out more about RCS Rich Communication Services and what it involves, you can take a deeper dive and read it at techguide.com.au. Now, I've just returned from China 
where I was a guest of Oppo, the phone company, and I was given the privilege of looking in their uh, testing labs and research labs and even had a look at their factory. Now, I know I, I, I spoke about this with my mate Trevor Long on Two Blokes Talking Tech. I'm not going to – I'm going to sort of sh- share a little bit of different information on this one, uh, but it, it, was, it, was a, it was a really interesting trip to see. I think you, you see – a smartphone and you kind of take for granted what goes what goes into creating that and developing that and testing that and building that and to be able to see from go to woe the whole process uh, of how and how meticulous Oppo is about the quality they want to give their customers in terms of the camera NFC fitness fitness features uh, all of those things it really impressed me that, that they do have very high standards and very high goals and go all out to achieve them. Now, what, what we started with was a, a few looking into a few of their labs. The first lab, one of the first labs was the photography lab. And this was a, you really had to see this to believe this. This was a massive lab, unlike any other lab you've, you've experienced, that had like what, what I could best describe is almost like movie sets. So it was it had a what looked like a restaurant, had what looked like a library, uh, a cafe, a karaoke bar, a hotel lobby, uh, a home's living room, uh, a, uh, all these scenarios where photos are taken. They even had an area outside that had a roadway, a small athletic track, different coloured trees and all these various things to – to create these scenarios and locations for to test the Oppo phone cameras. Now, photography is just a huge part of any smartphone, including the Oppo smartphones. And the, what what we saw was the on a robot on the end of a robot arm were, were the Oppo phones, and each session, so they were moving in 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 and out of these various scenarios, going at different angles and taking photos of various things, and taking, I understand, more than 70,000 photos in a single session so they could be analysed for colour accuracy and clarity. Uh, So really went to a lot of trouble. There was another robot that had like a dummy head on board because it wanted to test out the selfie. So it was using the front camera and this dummy head, which was actually based on an employee of the company, they said it was a 96% accurate rendition of this employee. I would love to have seen the employee next to the dummy. I named the dummy Sally uh, and the robot was sort of go, moving around. There's a picture of this on Tech Guide when you want to check it out. So it was using the front-facing camera to photograph, let's call her Sally, in these different scenarios. So her face was there about equidistant to as you would you're at an arm length to take your photo, but there was all different lighting conditions and, and settings and it was testing the front-facing camera, the selfie camera as well. Amazing. Another big part of their photography is augmented reality. I was very impressed with their new technology called Cyber Real. Now, this is uh, where you can see objects through your phone's camera that actually aren't there. It's augmented reality. Now, in this case, they, were, they, they placed these large copies of, the, of their phones. They were, when, you, when you put past the Oppo phone in front of it, you see these phones are sitting there, 3D, three-dimensional objects. You can walk up to them and walk around them and look underneath them. So that's typical augmented reality. They also had an augmented reality version of the company's bear mascot as well. 
Uh, there's a photo of me actually on the site. You you can see me in the background out of focus looking like, with my arms out next to nothing. But when you look on the phone screen, you actually see that I'm actually standing there. The augmented reality bear is right there next to me. Uh, the other test they did, this was an impressive one, the network test. So they had a room with had, which had all various um, types of network equipment from different manufacturers like Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, Samsung. So all the different network manufacturers, they had all of their equipment so they can simulate any type of network in any country to make sure their phones connect efficiently to those networks. Their radios are compatible. They even had like a, a chamber that eliminates all outside interference so the engineers can test the pure connection between the devices and the antennas and cells used by telcos around the world. They also had a fitness lab. So uh, even though the, the Oppo has actually released a smartwatch, unfortunately not in Australia, but they do t a lot of testing so that there was a guy running on a treadmill so they can get see results like his stride length, time of contact on the ground, leg speed. There was also another woman running on a treadmill with motion trackers to make sure that her motion matched the accuracy of other readings. So getting all these metrics was designed to help give you the information you wanted to reach your fitness goals. Uh, but as I said, no smartwatch from Oppo coming to Australia at this at the moment, maybe in the future. Now, NFC is a feature we all use on our devices to make payments, but in other scenarios, NFC can be used to do things like open door locks or hotel room door locks as well. So part of the lab was this massive room filled with every different type of payment terminal you can imagine. And there was a robot arm bringing them down, bringing the phone down, touching it to the to the terminal, judging the distance between the phone and the terminal before the action occurs, and also the speed of that uh, action as well. Uh, and it was also there was all different uh, types of door locks because you've got to remember around the world a lot of these products are sold in various markets. So say a, a door lock used in one part of the world. Uh, that Oppo, if they were selling uh, the, their products, their phones in that part, that market, they wanted to make sure that their NFC worked on that particular type of product. So a, real, a lot of work goes into it to make sure their phones are compatible, whether you're making a payment, whether you're uh, sharing information, whether you are opening your door or your car, all these various technologies, they were testing them. And now finally, we got to the factory now, the factory was, it looked like this nondescript building, it looked like an office building, it didn't look like a factory. With, uh, you know, you, you, pick, you imagine a factory, you think these massive big uh, towers with smoke billowing out of them and it looked looking like a factory. This actually looked like an office building. And inside, absolutely pristine white floors, uh, everyone was wearing masks and, 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 head, and headwear. We even had to put little uh, plastic covers on our shoes for, I think it was for hygiene. I don't think it was like for static or anything because we were behind a glass, we were behind like a, a glass wall. Uh, we weren't unfortunately allowed to take any photos. There are photos on my story, but they are not mine. They were supplied by Oppo. Uh, but we saw the process. Now, the, the process starts with the chip. And it's, there's, it's literally a printer that can print the soldering lines on, on the chip and then apply the various uh, little components, whether it's a resistor, a transistor, the memory chip, the, the, the SIM card slot. All these little things that were put on the motherboard moved along the line. And in that section, there were no humans. It was all robotic, all automated. It was hyper-accurate, uh, hyper-accuracy needed. So I think that was beyond the skills of a human to do that and so quickly. 
which is why the, the, it, was, it was automated. But the next process we saw as the phones moved down the line, so the motherboards were then placed on what they called the middle frame. So that's the sort of central frame that the front, the screen and the back panel go, attaches to. And so what we saw there were more humans on the line, putting in things like the, the USB port, the camera modules, the front, the selfie camera, all these various parts as they were put in along the line, all the way down to the point of the, the display going on, the plastic going on the front of the of front of the screen. And what they did, here's really something really interesting. When the phone was sort of almost all the way down the line, what we, what they did was insert a chip into what is usually the SIM card slot. So what this this did was to run a diagnostic test on the device. And it was the checking for all the different systems, whether the camera worked, the screen, everything. And if it got a pass, of course, that's, that they would know that. And as it moved down the line, they, they would take out that chip and replace it with the actual SIM card tray. And by the end of the line, the phones were fully complete, covered in plastic and packaged in the boxes, ready to be shipped around the world. Now, interesting little stat each production line can produce up to 3,000 smartphones a day. But get this, this is how stringent, how, how strict Oppo is with their quality control. If there is a failure rate of 5% and above, then they scrap that entire line and start again. So imagine that, only 5% of 3,000 phones have, have an error. So there's, a, there's some sort of error. They scrap the whole lot and start again. So that, 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 uh, that's pretty high standards right there. Part of the factory also had a section for durability testing. So I was seeing phones tumbled around in boxes and robot arms slamming them onto the floor. Like I saw one test where the phone gets smashed pretty hard into like a metal plate. And each time the devices were came up working intact, no screen cracks, nothing. Uh, there was another test that showed uh, sort of so showed wear and tears, like a, like a phone in your back pocket, in your front pocket. They even had a thing that was twisting the device, sort of the twisting the top and the bottom around. Uh, or, or there was also a section where they were inserting and removing the charging cable and even bending it repeatedly to simulate day-to-day -day use of a phone. There was one young bloke there putting in the headphone jacks the phone was taped to the t table and he was putting in and out the different headphone jacks. Uh, that was, I think that kid might have been on work experience, but he, uh, that, that was his job for the day. But at the end of the line, uh, there was also a section where they were spraying water on the brand new Find N3, you know, the foldable device. So uh, they really, before they let it out, before they let the phone into the market, it does go through a massive process testing a lot of engineering goes into it from those labs that I saw all the way through production to the finished product. It really impressed me, uh, the amount of research and testing uh, to meet Oppo's extremely high standards that we see here in Australia with their new devices. More recently, the Find N2, the flip phone, the Find N3, which is the folding phone as well. Uh, I'll get review, a review of the N3, uh, the folding N3 coming up in the next, uh, in the next week or so. Uh, but I was really impressed by by the whole bit. Being able to look behind the curtain at Oppo, really interesting. And uh, no wonder they're huge in China and also gaining market share around the world. If you want to take a closer look at my journey to China to see behind the scenes at Oppo, check it out, 
techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. If your home demands superior Wi-Fi, treat it with a masterpiece in connectivity. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6E from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6E is the first and only Wi-Fi 6 quad band whole home mesh system opening an exclusive all-new 6 gigahertz superhighway that's fine-tuned to deliver unprecedented Wi-Fi speeds and smoother streaming simultaneously across the smart homes of today and tomorrow. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Wi-Fi 6E, the fastest Wi-Fi ever. Find out more at netgear.com.au forward slash best Wi-Fi. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Kicking off the reviews this week is a product from our mates at Uniden. Uniden, uh, their app Campano. Uh, and full disclosure, Uniden is an advertiser on Tech Guide. So, uh, yeah, they are my mates, but I, I am going to give you a proper review here, uh, an unbiased review. The app Campano. Uh, this is a dual lens camera, and the what it, the, the benefit of that is that it gives you a 170 degree field of view. So that's that's like having to achieve that with another camera. You'd actually need two cameras because it can't do it. I think other cameras normally you get about 130, maybe 140 degrees but not 170. A doorbell, most doorbells can give you 180 and sort of de-bubble the image. But in terms of a security camera that's got its own light, by the way, too, uh, this is a, gives you, ed, in, in my case, I installed it uh, overlooking my backyard. And through the lenses, which is stitched together, by the way, whether it's an image or a video, it stitches it seamlessly together. I was able to see from the left fence to the right fence of my yard. And my, I've got a decent sized yard uh, and I was able to see the entire yard in one shot. And I was, uh, I, I like to keep an eye on my dogs, uh, Ziggy and Logan. Uh, and uh, th that's that's one reason, but also for security, you want to be able to see everything at the same time. It, it is 3K video resolution. So you're getting decent quality. And if anything's within, basically anything within 30 meters of this camera is going to be captured on video. So for your security, uh, this is a camera that can offer that, that amount of coverage, which is, as I said, normally would re require two cameras to be able to do the same thing. Now, of course, you can view live video and the notifications with the Uniden Solo app on your smartphone, and you can also record video and capture images on the app to share. There is also a micro SD card slot, so you can actually record locally as well. And it also ships with a solar panel. And so that means that once you've, well, like what I did is I charged it before I installed it. And then connecting the solar panel means that it's powered constantly. You don't have to get up and, and, and charge the battery. Now, this is a larger than usual camera because it's got the two lenses. It's actually quite big. It's probably twice the size of a regular camera because it's got two lenses. Uh, it's also got a couple of antennas and it's got, it comes with its own mounting arm and plate. And I, I think 
I installed it overlooking my backyard, of course, and it took a bit of work to do that. Not because it's hard to install, because of the awkward position I decided to put it in, including the uh, the solar panel. So uh, normally, I think if you had clear access to where you want to install it, it takes five minutes to do it. I, I had my, my little power screwdriver and I was putting it in there. Um, so installation, not a problem. And, and because the solar panel was was nearby, you could, there's quite a long cable. You can actually have it a few metres away if you want, but I only had mine about half a metre away. Uh, so you connect the USB-C cable from the solar panel then to the camera and then power all the way, baby. No need to get up a ladder and change a battery. Uh, but the 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 installation, as I said, pretty good. And then once once it's uh, the app, you fire up the app, follow the steps, and you actually got to point a QR code to the camera. It'll recognize the QR code and then register itself on the app as well and then ask you just to connect it to your local, to your home's Wi-Fi. So the whole process took dead set 10 minutes, if that. Very quickly, uh, we were able to connect it. And in no time, we were looking at the view, which you can see uh, on, uh, on Tech Guide, my backyard. And you can see from right fence to left fence right there in front of you. Uh, it does have that amazing field of view. So set up straightforward um, and the the solar panel in place as well. And look, this it's it's not hard to do. I'm the biggest pen pusher in the world, button pusher. If I can do it, you can do it. It's so easy to do it. Um, and yeah, it was it was really easy to, to onboard it onto your network as well. The process took minutes. Uh, it is it is a bit larger than a regular unit. It is uh, pretty bulky. It's also it's also a bit more expensive as well. It's four hundred and twenty nine bucks. It was five hundred and ninety nine a few months ago. So that might I don't know whether that's a Black Friday special or what it is, but it is a bit cheaper. Uh, but still more expensive than a regular camera because it's not a regular camera. You're getting you're getting a, a lot more for your money. So it's got it offers the dual lens. It's got that really powerful light as well. So it works just as well during the night as it does during the day. That the onboard passive infrared sensor spotlight, 440 lumens of brightness. Now the other cool thing about this too is that it uses Uniden's thermosense. Now this is when. So anyone who's got a security camera and you've got notifications turned on, it's not uncommon to see notifications because a car's driven past your house or the breeze has moved the trees a little bit. Those are nuisance notifications. You don't want those. But with Thermosense, you're getting both notifications when there's, a mo when there's movement but also heat detected as well, which means a person, an animal, something's on your property – uh, not just the tree swaying in the breeze. So I think that that really gets rid of those nuisance notifications. Uh, so you get all of that. Thermosense, 170-degree viewing angle, 3K resolution, SD card slot. You also get seven days of free cloud backup and storage as well. Uh, has night vision, of course, a motion detection record. You can even trigger an a siren on board as well. If you see someone on your property, you can trigger the, the, the siren. So this is a feature-packed uh, product, this one. If you want full security and you want to cover a wider space than a regular camera, then I think the Uniden, the AppCam Pano is excellent to do that for you. If you want to check out our complete review, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Samsung have launched launched a new shop app. So you're able to shop online using their app 
And the advantages of that, it's going to be launched in Southeast Asia and Oceania, which includes Australia, uh, as part of a strategy to simplify the online shopping experience. Now, Samsung's research shows that nearly half of their customers in in our region have shopped online. So 42.6% has bought an electronic device or a home appliance online in the last three months. That's how popular this is. So what they've decided to do is not only give you ease of use, but also special and exclusive offers and stay give you the latest deals on Samsung products so you can set notifications within the app. Say you're after a phone or an appliance, you can set up notifications there. There are also flexible payment options, so installment payments to also simplify your purchase. It also gives you clear delivery details and real-time tracking for your orders. So if there's an order on its way, rather than saying, look, we're going to be there between uh, 1 and 4 p.m., you can see the order as it's approaching your home and make sure you're around to receive it. That's a big help. And and normally uh, shipping with the app is usually free as well to certain locations in Australia. Uh, it's only available for Android users though. Get that. So <laughs> Samsung not making an iOS version here. Well, iPhone users... Uh, if you want to buy a Samsung product, you don't have to actually do it the normal way. If you've got an Android phone, of course, you can download the Shop app and uh, it'll allow you then. It's got a nice, easy-to-navigate interface and you can see the latest in the Samsung consumer products arranged really nicely for you there. There's all different menus and you can even uh, personalize the app so you can tailor the content recommendations and also make easy comparisons too between their current products and their latest models and accessories on offer as well. Students will also get uh, exclusive discounts and customers who download the Samsung Shop app, 10% off your first purchase. And that's a decent amount of money if you're buying a TV or an appliance. So uh, just just know that if it'll pay for itself. It's free anyway. But you get a discount. First, first thing you order, 10% off. That's pretty cool. But check it out if you're a, an Android user only. Uh, if you're an iPhone user and you want the discount, you have to get a mate who's got an Android phone to download it for you and then uh, put, get them put your credit card on board. But I'm pretty sure if you're a Samsung fan, you're likely to have a Samsung phone, which, which runs Android. Uh, but either way, Google Play Store, free to download, and it sounds a good deal to me. Free shipping. You can track your, ship, your, your, your different orders and also get 10% off your first purchase. Pretty cool. If you want to find out more, techguide.com.au. Okay, let's be honest here. When it comes to tech, who of you have injured yourself? There was an interesting study done in the US by Declutter, and they've revealed the most common tech-related injuries and how they are caused. Now, let me know if this sounds like something you've done. The most dangerous item that accounted for 30% of tech-related injuries was, drumroll, the television. So people suffering lower back strains while unpacking their TV or moving the TV to another room. I'll give you a tip. If you're moving a big TV, call a friend because doing it by yourself, can not only can you break it, but you can also break yourself. You're going to injure yourself by doing that. Have a guess what the next uh, the next most dangerous item was. Pretty easy to guess. 
Smartphones, of course. Smartphones accounted for 23% of tech injuries. And I'll say it right now, if you've suffered one of these injuries, you're an idiot. You need to be look at, you need to look where you're going. Okay? You see what I'm going, what I'm, where I'm going with this? The most common injury was for people walking and texting or talking at the same time. They weren't looking where they were going. So they were tripping or running into things or other people. Oh, that's a bugbear of mine. Someone bumps into me while they got their head down texting. I, I, I'm not happy. So look, do, do me the courtesy of looking where you're going. So imagine how dangerous this is if they walk on walk on near a road or something or hit a pole or hurt themselves. The other, and tell me if you've done this, you're laying down, phone above your head, you're watching something, scrolling something, and you drop your phone on your face. Who's done that? I've never done that. People that have done that, though, have suffered black eyes and even cut, cut their heads, or lacerations as well. The other more dangerous items were computers, laptops, gaming consoles, because they promote, or not promote, but can easily lead us to have poor posture. So that leads to neck and back pain, headaches. And you know where I'm going with this. Have you heard there's a term, this is actually a medical term, tech neck. And that is that made up 14% of all injuries because we're, what are we doing? staring down at our phones, looking down at our laptop for longer periods and getting a crick in our neck. So, and, and with more and more people working remotely, working from home, there's not quite the same ergonomic standards uh, you'd have at home as you would in your office. Like if, if you were, the office at least gives you a proper ergonomic chair and, and you put your monitor at the right height and all these things. But if you're at home or on the move, winging it, then you're more likely to be uh, to be suffering an injury there. Uh, the other thing too was people ingesting batteries or getting earphones stuck in their ears. Like how big are some people's ears? How do you get an earphone, like an earbud stuck in there? That that's amazing. Anyway, this is from Declutter. There's four. There's a little chart and everything on on Tech Guide. But my, my message to you is: be careful out there. Tech is supposed to help us, not hurt us. If you want to see more, check out that that little study. It's at techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. How much do you share online? Would you know what to do if your devices were compromised by malware or if your personal information was used without your knowledge? Australians have been exposed to the real threat of recent data breaches. This means it's crucial to help protect your devices, privacy, and personal information. Introducing Norton 360 Platinum. With device security, a VPN for online privacy, parental controls and identity theft protection, with dedicated restoration support and dark web monitoring, you have a comprehensive plan in place to ensure your information stays private. It's peace of mind for your devices and your identity. With Norton 360 Platinum, if you become a victim of identity theft, you'll have access to their dedicated identity restoration specialists to help you address your identity theft claim and help you resolve it. Peace of mind with your identity starts right here. Norton Identity Advisor is available at Officeworks, Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, or online at au.norton.com.
All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is supported by our good friends at Belkin. Belkin.com forward slash AU. If you want cables, chargers, USB docks, you name it, they've got it. Belkin.com forward slash AU. Now, I get a lot of messages, uh, sometimes really sad messages, about trying to retrieve a loved one's smartphone. Um, the Now, in, often it's the case of uh, the, their family member has passed away. They don't need. They don't know the password. They can't. They can't get into the device. Often, it's also that they've forgotten the password. They think I don't remember the password, and no matter how they, much they try, they can't remember it. Can't get into their device. And I, I get asked so often, "Is there a way around this?" And my short answer is no. There's no way around it. That's why the password exists. If you, if if there was a way around it, what's the point of having a password? Now, this isn't easy for some of these people to hear. Uh, so my recommendation is that if you or someone close to you, if you want to, I would suggest letting them know your password. Like I know my wife's p- password to her phone. She knows mine. And and look, I've got zero worries that she's going to pick up my phone and look through it. That's That's not our relationship. And whether you're comfortable with this, that's up to you. But if there are cases like this where something happens and you need to get into it or you forget your password, you need to be able to remember it to get your information. Because guess what? If you don't remember it, then all the stuff on it, if you haven't backed it up, is lost. Lost forever. And so it's it's sad for me to actually inform these people. That I'm, I've been responding to people whose children have died, their partners died, they can't get into their phones, and my, the answer is still the same. Unless you know the password, there's nothing you can do. Now, yeah, you can. You might take it to Apple headquarters or something, and they may have something to crack the phone. But that's pretty high end technology that would would not be able to be used un, unless in, instructed by like the government or something. So, best recommendation: well, remember your password for a start, and tell your close friends or your loved ones, your people you can trust, or yeah, you know, people in your family, they should know. So I, I, it's really hard to hear these and read these emails and, and really I feel so powerless not to help these people, but have your password, write it down somewhere, somewhere secret, or let your partner know what yours is. You might get hit by a bus tomorrow, hope you don't, but if you do, at least your, your loved ones can see your photos and, and, and retrieve those things that they may need from your phone. Passwords are so important, there's no way around them. So don't forget them. Share them with your loved ones to avoid anything like this happening. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this point. Uh, If you need to find out about anything we've spoken about on the show, you can find it at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email me info at techguide.com.au or even easier, click the Ask Stephen icon, fill out that form and that'll end up in my inbox. We also want to give a special thanks to our great sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family and your devices safe online. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 